Here we are, and we are standing in front of this amazing collection of paintings. It's been a long time coming. Four years. Four years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tell me about that. Well, I started in about 2019, and um, we were going to have a show the next year, and then COVID came along, so that was cancelled. And then the next year again, we had a, a show called Rehearsal, which was um, behind closed doors and online, just seven paintings. And I kept working and working and working and ended up with 42 paintings, which is basically two shows. But Aoife and Ita are wonderful um, hangers and they've cut it down to 23. Yeah. So finally, it, it sees the light. And so the title of this collection is? It's music. music. And it, it's, it's sort of rather schematic in a sense. It's um, it's because I was trained as a classical musician for a short while. It, it's talking about harmony and balance and that sort of thing, you know. There's a famous Frank Zappa quote uh, writing about music. It's yes, like dancing, dancing about, about architecture. Arch I love that quote, yeah. <laughs> so tell me how on earth it works for you to paint music. You'd imagine it's a similar thing. Well, it's to do with spacing. I mean, we're, we're looking at a picture here, Rondo, I think it's called. And the best way to describe it, although viewers and listeners can't see it, is there's a background which is very textured, uh, putting on Japanese papers, it's mm. sort of collage. And that's sort of the space, if you like, that the music's created in. And then the sections. So it, it's almost like musical score, this. It's an equivalent of a musical score. And there's lines that go right across that could be the the staves in a piece of music. And then on these staves hang the notes. I have these sort of background colours that are partly the, the, the texture of the paper. Yeah, and they're and quite pastel kind of Yes, pastel-y sort of colours. Very 50s colours, these, I think. And so they're, they're the sort of background singers, almost. And then the, the soloists are these few flat colours, about six or seven of them. So is this how you see music? It, it is. It, it's not specifically to a particular piece of music. Yeah. But it, it's the way that music is organised. It's to do with the space that makes the rhythm. And quite a lot of the early painters of the 20th century were musicians as well. And I mean, Miro talked about making, making um, poetry that was equivalent to music, that was equivalent to painting. A lot of painters were involved on both sides. It's not a literal depiction, but it's, I don't know how to put it, it's impossible. <laughs> but it's, it's quite uh, geometric and, yes, and uh, almost mathematical. Yes. But I, um, I saw an interview with you where you were saying that you stopped studying classical piano because it was too mathematical. Exactly. For you. I was expecting to walk in here and see more psychedelia and yes. Dr. Strangely Strange, but yes, it isn't it, like it's that. Not, all, no, it? no, it, it sort of goes back to my classical training, yeah. which was very sparse. But uh, <laughs> uh, as you say, I, after when I was about 14, it became like too much like going to maths class. Yeah. And I didn't practice and I came, you know, and then I went into a much more freeform thing. And I thought when I started painting music, they'd be very freeform. I mean, there's one here, which is called Blues for Gary. I wanted to talk to you about that because that is a standout. Of, for starters, it's very different from very most different. of the rest of this collection. And in a way, that's the way I thought that the whole show would go. But somehow I was trying to get a structure on the thing 
the way music is structured. And that, that's so they became very geometric in a way. Yeah. And but this one, which was is this blues for Gary, was this the first in the series? It was or? fairly early on. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And will you tell us a little bit about um, Gary Moore? Was a guitarist. Who Gary Moore was a guitarist. Well, we met him in in, in Dublin when he was seventeen, and uh, he's the most amazing musician I've ever heard. I mean. He could pick up an instrument and play along to the radio, whatever instrument it was, whether it was in or out of tune. He just was a natural. Mm. And he was really blues at his heart. Yeah. And he became a great friend of ours. He lived with some of us and um, he was on two of our albums, three of our albums, actually. And uh, he was a lovely, sweet, gentle man. And I, I knew him later on in life, too, because he became a sort of superstar. So he was coming to play with us in 2010, actually, when we, we, we played our second album in London, in the Jazz Cafe in Camden. And unfortunately, he died three months before, so he wasn't able to be with us. But um, what a great man. So this was painted in memory of him. And it's very different from the rest because it doesn't have any of that geometry in no, it at all. It's much no. more amorphous yeah, and yeah, exactly. much more about the colour. Yeah. yeah very beautiful deep and moody do you think that there's a parallel between your own musical development and your painting because you weren't you weren't uh, you didn't go to art college no no <laughs> I so to are, are you self-taught in both music yes I'm a, uh, an ig ig ignorant student <laughs> taught, taught by an ignorant master I should say yeah because I love finding out things for myself I mean, now in my ripe old age, I kind of regret I didn't go to art school, mainly for the interaction with other students. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I moved to West Cork in 1968 from, from the Dublin art ghetto, so to speak, and because I wanted to be completely on my own and develop on my own. And same with music, really. Um, but I, I knew early on I was a much better painter than a musician. What makes you say that? <laughs> well, I knew it. <laughs> well, I, I, Is it just how fluidly it comes to you or how yes. much you want to do it? Or? Well, I, I, you know, it became an obsession in, in the late 60s. I stopped painting and I went on the road with the band for three years. But in the end, you're sitting in a, in a, a transit going up and down the motorway and late night hours hauling a harmonium down three flights of stairs at two in the morning. <laughs> I, I actually described the music, playing music, was like um, sort of advanced nocturnal furniture removal. That's fantastic. The ability to sleep sitting upright is yes. actually one of the best touring skills you can uh, exactly have. Exactly. <laughs> oh, very good, yeah. Oh, no, I mean, the, the ideal position is to be a whistle player. <laughs> you just put the instrument in your pocket and go home. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Are you a workaholic? I mean, you've been was prolif absolutely prolific yes. throughout your, your, especially your painting career. Yes, well, my painting career, I mean, early on, and I lived in West Cork since 68, in a quite a remote place, I used to work 10 hours a day. <laughs> now I, I slowed down to about three or four hours at a time, you know. Yeah. But I was a workaholic, definitely, yeah. Yeah. And then I saw there's something more than painting and more than music. Life is more than that. But I love it. I love it. I, and it's kind of obsessive. I mean, I always say creativity is, is it comes, it's a bit like diarrhea, it comes in spurts, you know. 
I shouldn't be saying that, but anyway. <laughs> so, you know, and, and then you write, you, you see, it's like hunting, actually. You get a smell, you get a scent of, of, the, of the prey, and off you go, galloping. God knows where, you know. Then the hunt is over, and then nothing's happening. And then you, you might just see a little thing. You, you might see someone's face, or you, you might see a reflection on a window or a piece of grass. And then maybe a whole new series comes out of that. And, and one, one painting influenced the next one. I mean, if we look at this show, it, it is quite homogenous in a way, because it, it, it's quite geometrical. It's based on a grid in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can see lots of things like piano keys or yes. even, you know, actual sheet music or yes. these different things. Very much. I mean, the, 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 line, the horizontal lines in most of them are the staves of the music. And then the patches of colours of the notes and the spaces of the rhythm. So, I mean, that's putting it in a... In a we'll walk around and look at a yeah. more of that. I wanted to ask you if it's fair to say that in, over the course of your career that you kind of spent a lot of time mastering representational stuff because you started so heavily in landscape and really... Yes. You know, landscape and the inspiration of where you yeah. live and all of that stuff for so yeah. many years. And then have you moved towards abs abstraction? Yes, very much. Well, I always felt I was an abstract painter. I mean, I grew up in a wonderful house. My dad, who was my main teacher in a sense, was this a big is collector. Basil yeah. And Basil was just, he loved painting and he had a huge collection. So in the house, there was very representational work and very abstract work and everything in between. And he, he didn't really see much difference. He saw good and bad painting. And uh, I've always said that a, a good painting, whether it's representational or abstract, should work upside down or right side up. Yeah. But you know, I, I came to West Cork to teach myself to paint because I had no teaching. And I, I first of all thought I'd like to actually learn how to paint realistically, yeah. representationally. So I spent the first few years sitting outside. My studio was the outside. And I'd spend, you know, four or five years working from the landscape. You know, who's it? John of the Cross, who I'm sure you read every day. He said, he said, if you <laughs> don't know, yeah, something. <laughs> he said, if you don't know where you're going, go by a road you don't know. And, and also to quote John Cage, which is one of my favorite quotes. He said, when I go into my studio, I go in with all my ideas of art history. I go in with my friends, I go in with my enemies, I go in with, with um, all, everything, all my preconditions, and slowly, one by one, they leave. And finally, in it, with any luck, I leave myself. <laughs> so dunky. Yeah, and that, that's the way most creative people work. They Do get you think that point. because you grew up in a house that was filled with art and mm -hmm. such a huge respect for creativity, yeah that you were confident to creatively express yourself from a young age? Uh, yeah, I think so. I, yes, I, th I think so. I mean, I, didn't, I never went to third level education and I, I just wanted to express myself. Were your parents supportive of the strange and strange um, years? Well, sort of yes and no. They were delighted when I, I got a scholarship to study textile design in Sweden, but I was, I was studying um, tapestry with 16 girls, um, embroidery I should say, <laughs> <laughs> all taught through Swedish. Luckily there was a, a Japanese lady who used to translate into English. But I, I quickly found I, I wanted to paint and I ran away from there and I 
came back in disgrace to the family home and sitting around the table. And my mother said to me one day, you've ruined your life. Oh dear. Which was a bit, bit of a stab in the heart. Oh, I was about 18 or something. Nobody's ruined their life at no, 18. No, they haven't. <laughs> but um, my dad was very supportive and, and my mum was in due course, you know. Yeah. And they were delighted actually that I, they really supported me. So it was lovely. Do you have a, a, a moment, was there an exhibition or a series that was a kind of a turning point for you in terms of your external markers of success in yes. terms of your ability to sell your work? I mean, obviously, I think of the Fires series because... The Fires series, yeah. You know, they're kind of... Yes. They were very popular paintings. Well, they have an elemental aspect to them. Fire is elemental, of course. And, and, um, and living in West Cork in the spring, there's burning off of the gorse and which is kind of controversial. Mm. But um, it's also excuse to use a bit of scarlet in, a, in, a, in this landscape. But no, I just loved, I loved the smoke and, and the light. And I, I did one or two of them. And then people kept saying, could you do one more of those? And a local fireman bought one. He said, I put out a lot of those, he said. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, amazing. I must have painted probably 200 fire paintings. So was that um, your most commercially successful? Commercially successful, until that? yes. What, what year would that have been? I started in about 1990, yeah. and I, I still do, by commission, paint one or two, but oh. I, I really find it really, really hard, because I, I work in series, as yeah. you've probably seen, and I pick up the scent or something, and I, I follow it for two or three years. So I, mean, I, I get criticised by critics for not sticking to... You know, a lot of artists just gnaw at the same bone all their life. Mm. I always, I always loved, Miro had something outside his studio. He found an old railway sign and he put it up outside his studio. It said, no train stops here. And that's how I feel. I mean, I've got as far as the music. I don't know what's going to come next. Don't you? Haven't a clue. You said before that your painting is kind of like your diary. Yes, exactly that. So different, a different uh, preoccupations yes. in your own life yes. emerge in the work. Very much what? so is this story of moving from representational to abstract, moving um, from, you know, yes. landscape to essentially ideas or themes or concepts. Yes. What is that telling us about <laughs> what's happening to you? You know, Sounds like I've become an old dusty old professor or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just wonder no. if it's, you know, if you're moving towards a yeah. kind of metaphysical, some yeah. phase where that's what you want to do is explore I, I think for many, many years, painting was my be-all and end-all. It was, painting became, uh, became my life. And I, I suppose a few years ago, I realized, well, I'm not a painter, I'm not a poet, I'm not a writer, I'm not a husband, I'm, you know, not a father. I'm, I'm not of these things. These are the things I do. And when I drop that idea of these are the things I do, it's more fun to do them, because they're doing them without a... Without a Without uh, without an identity, without being identified, yeah, for ego exactly. Yeah. And I mean, we all suffer from ego, of course. But when you can identify your ego, or if you can see it, or your conditioning, and your ego is very connected to your conditioning, of course. And when you can actually, you you'll never get rid of your conditioning, but you can see it. Yeah. And if you see it, then you're a bit free. A bit free. Are you getting wise? Is that what's happening? <laughs> I know, I'm getting less wise as I get older. I mean, Socrates was the wisest man in Greece because he said he knew nothing. Yeah. 
So I, I think that's the direction I'm going. To know nothing. <laughs> the future exhibitions are going to get prettier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, ideally, it would be great to paint, to paint silence and to paint space. Yeah. But I don't think I'll ever get to that. <laughs> Let's go and take a yeah. look at this one down here on the far wall. Sorry, I'm doing this with absolutely no order or rhyme or reason whatsoever, but this one down here is so beautiful. Oh, yes, this one, yes. Yeah, this is quite a large canvas. It's not a canvas, though, is it? Is it? It's, it's on board, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And it's got a, a kind You're of... allowed to touch it. I can, <laughs> No one else can. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's got a kind of background. I, so a great musician came to visit me recently, and I, I was saying the background is meant to be a bit like a sort of palsied skin. Yeah. It, it's got that sort of... Because I was throwing paint on it. He said he didn't see it like that, but anyway. And then, of course, the structure is there again, the lines, the, and then the spaces, which are really important. Mm. And then there's these backgrounds that are sort of loosely painted, that, that sort of yeah, lizard nice. colour and yeah, green yeah. colour and black, but loose brushwork in there. And then there's the soloists who come who are solid. You're describing the always solid blocks of colour as yes. the soloists. And the blocks of colour, in a sense, are like notes. How can you tell when you're painting abstract paintings, how do you know when it's finished? Well, I always think of Paul Clay, who was a painter I loved and love. He said when he's painting, there's him talking to the painting and the painting's talking back to him. And it goes back and forth. And finally, the painting doesn't talk back to him. Then it's finished. When it shuts up, it's yeah. done. Yeah, when it shuts up, it's done. Very good. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Especially if these are music, or yes. were they playing to you? Yes, yeah. Did you listen to music while you were painting um, these? Sometimes, sometimes, a okay. little bit, yeah. I do listen to music that way. But sometimes silence is better. I don't know, I, have, I don't have any set way anymore. All my life I've been having set ways to do this and that. Now I have no set ways. Now I'm adrift <laughs> on the final, <laughs> the final mile or whatever. <laughs> Or ten minutes, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> if I drop dead now, at least you've had the interview. <laughs> Not only that, I have a great scoop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, scoop! Yeah. That's a really joke. Sorry about that. Don't worry. No, I, well, having been very ill a few years ago, I've perfected the art of black humour. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's Come right. On. You you had a, a lull. You had a time when you weren't producing. And yes. You worked there. What was that? Two thousand. Well, I had a liver transplant in, in about seven years ago. Oh wow, that's a big. Which was a major yeah. major thing, and I was just finishing a series called Patching the Void, which of course is impossible. It's like a Zen idea. So this so, series was about. Uh, it was based on textile, based on a piece of carpet, if I remember. Correctly. Yes, it was, yes. correct. Yes, yeah. oh yes, yeah. yes, 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 it so was. So it's kind of lots of threads. Threads, and warp and weft. Yeah, and you were finishing apart. that series when... I was finishing that when I became, became eligible for a transplant. So that interrupted things. But um, the show I was doing coming up to that was um, one of my favourite shows called Patching the Void. And it was... Um, it was a 2016 in the Taylor Galleries in Dublin, but I was too ill to go to the opening. So a friend of mine in Dublin had been to the opening and rang me and said, oh, it was great, Tim, you know, there were loads of people there. It was like a wake, but no body. <laughs> <laughs>
that. I thought it was great, actually. <laughs> this is always a terrible question to ask, but do you have a favourite yourself? Favorite. At the moment, even if that changes, do you have one? Well, that it comes and goes. I think my favourite one is this big one here, orchestral manoeuvres. But the only reason, the only reason it's my favourite is it's the last one I've done. Yeah. And you know, someone asked an artist, "What's your, what's your best work?" And he said, my next one, actually. But, but this was the one that I've just finished. Yeah, that's beautiful. Because it has that moving, the background is kind of fluid, water-like mm. shapes. And it's moved away from kind of more angular. Yes, exactly that. Flowing. Yeah, more yeah. flowing. Yeah, and with circles in it as well. And then this one here is, is sort of really... That's so, Doctor Strangely Strange. That's Doctor, exactly, yeah, exactly. That's more. Actually, it's called The Rite of Spring, which was Stravinsky's opera, you know. Yeah, yeah. Which, was, which is incredible. And it was. Yeah, that's quite psychedelic, that one. Yeah. The next series might be all grey, might be all spacious and grey and misty. And I, I don't know, I have this feeling. Because it might go back into that How will you know when you're going to start? Will you take a break and then start working Yeah, again? well, I have started a few things. Charlie Bird, who we got to know recently, just before he was diagnosed, he became a bit of a friend, and I've been back and forth with him. And he's going to climb Crow Patrick on the 2nd of April for a charity. So he's asked me, would I do a painting to commemorate the occasion of Charlie climbing Crow Patrick? And he's going to bring it up with him and put it in the chapel on the top. Wow, so, so you're going to have it done in advance? Yes, I'm going to do it after this show opens. That's my next project. Okay. To do so, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I've got a rough idea. Yeah. Yeah. And are you going up Crookpatrick? No, or are no. you going to he, go up? He's asking people to climb their local hill and send some money to the charity. Yeah, what's your local hill? Uh, <laughs> well, Gula Mountain behind Allahys. Well, I actually did want to ask you a little bit more about... Doctor Strangely Strange yes. and about because you know I mean you know you recorded for John Peel like you yes. were c considerably you were quite a well known we were kind of a cult band I think that's what it would be called we were what in the music press they called a name band I mean this is back in the 60s and the early 70s in England mainly so we got some quite high profile gigs I mean we played with um, we played a gig in the Lyceum Ballroom with Santana was top of the bill, Elton John second, and Doctor Strangely Strange third. And it went from Santana with two drummers and a conga player, like listening to a big locomotive. And then it came down to Elton John, a piano player and a drummer. And then it came down to a sort of three weedy Irishmen with a couple of guitars and a harmonium and a whistle, you know. <laughs> How did that go down? Oh, it went down fine, yeah. Yeah. We were on a revolving stage. So um, oh, wow. one band would come round and, and then it, I think it got muddled up at one point. <laughs> but we did a couple of gigs, we did a gig with Elton John and High Wycombe and we were top of the bill and he was supporting us. That was our high point, I think. <laughs> <laughs> did you kind of fall for the lifestyle? I mean, you've already said the touring and the sitting yeah, around, the hanging no, around and stuff. No, but I mean, it, It's great when you're 24 or 5. Yeah. It's very exciting. And, and, but the lifestyle was awful, really. And, but Strangely Strange still lives. Well, we still meet every few times a year and we still, we've done a few mini tours. We did the world tour of Scotland a few years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and then we did a, a, a tour of Cork and Kerry. Yeah. And then we did, two or three years ago, we played um, two sellout gigs in Dublin too. 
What's it like to perform with musicians who you've performed with for 50 years? That must be an incredible... Well, you see, the main thing is, strangely strange, isn't really so much a musical group as, as a sort of an atmosphere. <laughs> and it's to do with three, four, four friends, three old friends and one more recent friend. And uh, there's a new boy that joined the band in 1980. And, uh, a young we, fella, a whippersnapper. Young fella, whippersnapper. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful musician, fiddle player. Oh, what's his name? Joe Toma. Okay. Traditional so have, fiddle player. So you have uh, Tim Booth, Tim Booth and, and Ivan Paul, yeah. who lives in Ken Mayer. So they're the original family yes, members. Yes, they're the original, yeah. People describe you as kind of like um, psychedelic folk or acid folk or yes. these types of things. We, we called ourselves psychedelic lounge music. <laughs> but it was sort of folk based. <laughs> yeah. And then it became a bit harder. And then we made another album in Sulawn Studios in Ballyvourney. 1997, which mm. I'm very proud of, produced by Paul Scully, who was the sound engineer with the Pokes. And Gary came down, Gary Moore came down and recorded on that with us. And it's a little bit more musical, to put it mildly. <laughs> Some of the recordings us. I was li just listening, you know, just skimming over the, the first two albums on yeah, YouTube yeah. before I came out. I was oh, like, wow, some of this is... Bit challenging. <laughs> I know, put it mildly. Yeah. Were you taking a lot of acid? No, well, yes, I did take a lot of acid at one point. Yeah. But in those days, acid was like like a sacrament. Yeah. It was something you took as a, yeah, almost like a South American Indian might take something like that, peyote or something. And it put you into a very altered state. You could see someone, you could see them thinking, and you could see their thoughts, and you could see every molecule in their face moving, or you thought you could, shall I say. But of course he came down from that, so I, I took acid for, I don't I remember taking acid for about two weeks every other day. Wow, that's... And uh, because I wanted to stay in that state, and this is in the late 60s, hmm. and then I realised, no, that state is the state that's, you don't have to take a pill for it, you know, and then I got very much into meditation and I still love meditation, and to find that space. So I'm not interested in altered states at all. I'm really interested in the unaltered state, the state which we actually are. So, and you thought that... that yeah, I thought that you could go somewhere and get somewhere. Yeah. I don't want to get anywhere now. Do you think it had an impact on your, on your painting? Oh, very much so. I mean, certain series were... Well, one of the series with Reads and Reflections was all about calmness and peace and quietness. And then there was another show I did called Facing Darkness, Seeing Light. I suppose what I, there's a corny old saying, you know, life unexamined is a life not led and not lived, you know. And so now very much I'm interested in seeing exactly what's happening, exactly. Not being pessimistic or optimistic, but being exact, being seeing exactly what's happening. And there was one show I did called Facing darkness, seeing light. I don't know if you've seen any of those. Yeah, they were painted in the caves. Yes, in yes, yeah. yeah. And yeah. that was when I went through a very bad time, kind of black period of my life, very disturbed, like a breakdown, if you like. And I called to a friend's house at six in the morning. I was walking around in the hills. And he said, you're in a terrible state. You're like a man in a cave, grasping for the, the bars, grasping at the light. Why don't you look, turn around and look at the darkness? And that gave me an idea for a whole show that was based in being underground in the deserted copper mines. Incredible light beaming coming down into the caverns of darkness. 
and the beautiful color colors in darkness. Mm. It was like going into another world, an undiscovered world. It's there now as we stand, you know, these beautiful colors, these caverns of light and darkness and color, and yet no one sees them. Mm. So it's there as we're standing here, there is this sort of magical place existing. So I did a whole show on that, and it's one of my favorite shows actually. Yeah. So that's sort of how it happens in my life. So painting is my diary in a way. So that, so that thing that's happening in your work, this distillation and kind of real, like even though it's abstract, getting right down to the nitty gritty and the real of the concepts that yes. you're dealing with. Yes. That's your trajectory. Yes, I think so. Yeah, that puts it well. You've been listening to an arts and culture podcast for Tripe and Rasheen with me, Ellie O'Byrne. Tripe and Rasheen is your independent, reader-supported local news substack for Cork City and County. It's completely advertising free. If you can, please support us by subscribing for just €8 per month or €80 per year. All your subscription fees will go to supporting independent local journalism in Cork. If you can't subscribe, you can still sign up for free. And if you want to help us spread the word, use our social media. That's at Tidrasheen on Twitter or Tripe and Rasheen on Facebook or Instagram to share the articles that you like. Talk to you next time. <laughs>